a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. You heard Maria Chaleos just a moment ago mention a new BYU study which talks about the effectiveness of masks. And it goes beyond that to talk about uh, or at least dispel some of the rumors or claims that you may have seen circulating on Facebook or as you spoke to your aunt or whoever saying that masks, in fact, are dangerous. Right? They limit the flow of oxygen or at least uh, facilitate the buildup of CO2 or something like that, all right? Well, there's a study uh, released just this morning out of Brigham Young University, and at about 1.20, I'll be speaking to the lead researcher of that study here on this program to explain not only what they have discovered in terms of the effectiveness of masks, but also what they have been able to dispel in terms of the damaging impact of masks. I'm very much looking forward to that. I've been able to read through much of this study and it, 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 is, it is common sense, all right? And so we'll break down the science behind that common sense uh, with uh, Ben Abbott, Assistant Professor of Ecosystem Ecology at Brigham Young University and lead researcher on this new report. Uh, looking forward to that. I'm also I'm looking forward to talking to you as well uh, about masks. And I know, I know that's, that's terrible and awful uh, because masks, 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 yeah, it feels like a, a drum that we just beat over and over and over but the, the Surgeon General of the United States, Jerome Adams, you know him. He has been uh, front and center on much of these conversations for so long. And uh, he has also been the one uh, behind that March announcement. That's also likely been circulating on, <laughs> on Facebook and probably paired it to you by your aunt or your uncle or someone like that. When he said that, you know, masks may not be effective. They may be counter productive in that uh, we may touch our face more often. Well, he just this morning uh, essentially said, no, I was wrong and I apologize for it and here's why. And here's what I'd like to see going forward. That's something we're going to get into later on in the program right now, or not right now, sorry, (laughs) after a break. Uh, But now I want to talk to you about fertility rates. And I do so because I had such a remarkable uh, weekend with my baby daughter, my first baby girl, Piper. I never understood before becoming a father all of those joys that one experiences as a parent. You know, for years and years, you know, before I was uh, married and uh, ready to start having children, it was, uh, if I'm honest, my dad mostly, who was saying, you know what, boy, you're you're getting older, you got to get yourself some kids of your own. Uh, It's the greatest joy in life. And I thought, okay, dad, thanks, great, love that. That's that's, that's great. This pressure you're putting, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. (laughs) <laughs> and you probably understand that, right? You've, you've likely been on one side or the other of that, <laughs> of that exchange. But I know which side I'm on now as a father. 
It's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. I mentioned in the last segment all those firsts. Well, there was another first that happened just here this morning. And one of those silver lining deals of broadcasting here from home, I got to witness it. She pulled herself up onto her feet using the couch. You know, she kind of, she knew there was something up there she wanted. I think it was mom's cell phone. And she, one hand in front of another, uh, scaled the front side of the couch and reached up and over and planted her hands, uh, her palms down on the on the cushion and uh, pulled herself right up. Her mom says, Lee, come look at this. And there she was, my little baby Piper, standing up on her feet. Uh, not yet walking, right? She's got to uh, hold on to the, the couch there, but we'll get there. We'll get there. And I bring, in, I bring this up and I reiterate all the joys I've experienced over the past few days and the past eight months of this little baby's life uh, because there is a heartbreaking trend right now being identified by uh, those who study uh, demographics around the globe, and it is that the fertility rates are dropping. Fertility rates are dropping. Now, that's not something necessarily new. In fact, we've had conversations along those lines uh, for for some time. In fact, uh, Pam Perlick, Director of Demographic Research at the Kemsey Gardner Policy Institute, has been a guest on this program uh, numerous times. In fact, uh, about a month ago, I asked, I asked if the, the population shrinks, how does that impact, say, the economy and the way you and I live our lives? Uh, how that impacts the economy, that means that there will be uh, less immediately, less demand for, say, pediatricians and for all of the, the goods and services that young families need when they bring a new life into this world. It also means, though, if we really think about it, if people have smaller families, that means we're able to uh, invest more resources into each new child who who uh, comes into this world. So, you know, there, there's there's both of those effects that that happen. Uh, so it means that uh, there'll be fewer school-aged children. That means there'll be fewer workers than there would have been uh, if, if we'd had more children. Uh, but that also means if we make the appropriate investments in this next generation, they'll be more productive than the current generation, and they'll be able to, they'll be able to uh, carry the load. Uh, it, so there's a lot of the uh, implicate much of the implications of fewer children being born uh, have to do with the investments and policy mm. changes that we make to adapt to that reality. So that is the, the conversation we had about a month ago, and it's all it all makes sense, right? If you have uh, fewer children, you can dedicate more of your resources to the rearing and raising of that child. That, that makes plenty of sense. But what happens if you step back? What happens if you step back and take a look at the whole globe? Well, there are some researchers who have done that. And what they've found and revealed in recent days is startling, and it is this, that in a little over four decades, our planet will reach peak population. And then it'll start to decline. All right. I have always believed that population growth would be something that would happen exponentially and that it would continue to to increase. Why? Uh, Well, because of the numbers. Uh, You know, I always believed that there were uh, about two and a half kids per family. Uh, And in fact, uh, I read (laughs) I read a book not too long ago. It was about the life of Winston Churchill. And he said the perfect number of children to have is four. And he explains why. He says, uh, he says one uh, child to replace mom, one child to replace dad, one child to, uh, to add to the population, and then a fourth child in case something goes wrong. 
Now, uh, sadly, Winston Churchill, uh, he had five children. Uh, a daughter of his, though, died at a very young age and uh, had uh, four live on to adulthood. Uh, but that was his theory. One, one to replace mom, one to replace dad, uh, one to add to the population, and then one to have around in case, in case anything goes wrong with the other three. That's a Winston Churchill thought. Now, why do I bring this up, and why do I see uh, a peak in global population uh, in just four decades' time as, a, as an unfortunate thing? Well, it means that there are decisions being made by families around the globe uh, that ultimately lead to fewer children being born, quite obviously. And the impact of that, uh, you can calculate it, and you can also express it in intangible terms. Uh, the intangible, of course, being the joy that I've described over my last weekend here, spending at with Piper, uh, being able to witness so many beautiful firsts. And with every one of those firsts, I find myself wondering, okay, what's next? Uh, what will her next first be? And then thinking even further down the road, uh, what will her life be like? How will she live? How can I protect her? Those are all privileges. Those are all things I take very seriously. And around the globe, uh, fewer and fewer of those opportunities are uh, being enjoyed by individuals. In fact, how about this? There's a study that goes along with, uh, with the, the, the one that reveals that there's a chance pop global population peak hits in only four decades. It also shows here that there are a number of uh, major countries who around this, around this globe which will just experience... Dramatic, dramatic population decline. Dramatic. Japan, Spain, even China may, in just a few short years' time, see their population half. <laughs>